This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, exclusively on the Bun 2.0, KBUNFM 104.5. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors is sponsored by DS Beverages, Paul Bunyan Country's distributor of Anheuser-Busch and Budweiser, by Northern Surplus Northern Outdoors in downtown Bemidji, Bonded Lock and Key, your home for Liberty Gun Safes, and Pine Ridge Service. Today on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, we are talking with Jen Weichel. She's the marketing coordinator of the Division of Fish and Wildlife with the Minnesota DNR. And before we get into uh, the number of topics I want to cover with you, uh, Jen, tell us a little bit about what the marketing coordinator does. Right. So the marketing coordinator has been a relatively new position as um, we look at the trends in license sales of hunting and fishing. And the primary goal is to recruit and retain and reactivate um, our license holders from past customers that we want to come back to the sport and keeping our current customers as well. So we do promotions on all of the wonderful opportunities within Minnesota, um, so keeping someone active and also encouraging someone to come back to the sport that hasn't bought a license in a while. Um, The value of our licenses as you may know and your listeners may know, is that license sales are what are the foundation for us to manage fish and game in the state of Minnesota. So license sales are very important for our ability to keep this wonderful recreation here in Minnesota. Okay. And what has been the trend with license sales? So license sales um, we talk about in two different ways. We talk about sales, the actual sales of licenses, and then we talk about participation. The difference is, Participation is the percent of Minnesotans that actually hunt or fish in our state, which is declining. And then we talk about license sales, which is the number of licenses that we sell, which has remained relatively consistent, can bounce from year to year. But we've got um, a great participation rate here in Minnesota, which is twice that of the national average of participation, meaning there are more people in Minnesota that hunt and fish um, than the national average. That does not surprise me in the least. Um, what are you seeing as far as um, where there is maybe some drop-off? Is it more on the hunting side, more on the fishing side? It varies across those two, um, kind of depending on the year. But in general, we're seeing participation rates drop across both. Okay. Um, we are seeing some growth on the female side of things, though, meaning that there are more females getting out either on the water um, or in the field, and that's a great thing. That absolutely is a great thing. And in fact, I, I just had a, a real great uh, uh, show a few weeks ago with uh, um, Tara Hokuff, and she's just really fallen in love with the outdoors and is really pushing that aspect of getting more and more women involved. And she's seen a lot of people really responding to her message. Yeah, we've seen some some great efforts with um, the industry helping to connect women with the outdoors. And there's just some great opportunities, um, both in the clothing that's available for women and the equipment that's, that's uh, made for women. So it's uh, a value, which is, which is more important roughly on the, say, like when you're trying to buy a set of waders <laughs> that you're able to find a size that fits, or when you're uh, purchasing a firearm. Uh, especially a shotgun or a rifle, that it fits you. And and we know that women are sized differently often than men, and so the industry has really stepped up to help fill that niche. Are we seeing, I mean, uh, why why is the growth on the, on the female side? Is it because we've 
we've uh, done the proverbial glass ceiling of outdoors now? I think that's part of it. Um, I think the trends in our demographics across the state of Minnesota, um, the changing culture, and, yeah, just opening the doors to the opportunities has made it more um, accessible for women to see themselves in doing these um, outdoor recreation things like hunting and fishing. We also have some great programs that help uh, bring women into these sports. Uh, the Becoming the Outdoor Women is, a, is one of those programs that's nationally renowned here in Minnesota. Um, along with other of, other of our partners that are bringing women into the um, into the field as well. Okay. Um, one of the things that uh, I wanted to talk to you about was a recent survey done, uh, and I believe it was done by the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation. Uh, before we get into that, uh, tell us a little bit about the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation and what they are. Right. So Congressional Sportsman's Foundation is a... Um, foundation that was pulled together to try and do work at the federal level in Washington, D.C. So it's sportsmen and women that are trying to move policy in the support of hunting and fishing across the nation. Okay. Well, one of the, I think the main point of this study uh, was to to impact the, or to show the impact that outdoors activities had in America. And it is, it is astounding, the impact. Right, and that's something we look at. We try to look at the national trends, um, especially the economic impacts. We try to do that on an annual basis, um, and oftentimes it's different groups that are helping to fund that actual research and report being done. Southwick and Associates put together that information for us um, across the nation, and yes, nationally, I think people will be surprised that nationally for 2016, sportsmen and women spent 93. $7 billion in retail sales. And that's everything from buying their gear to their licenses and related products, lures, ammunition, and the like. But that's also including um, paying for a guide service or a charter service, uh, eating meals, their travel, booking hotels, gas, those sorts of things. So $93.7 billion in retail sales in 2016. That is uh, an astronomical amount of money, and, and, and there's some fun facts uh, in this study about what it actually means. Um, 252,000 student loans could be paid off with that kind of money. Right, right. Wouldn't we wish all of our student loans to be paid off? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and one of the other fun facts I found astounding was that if you took it to an impact on the gross domestic product, that accounts for $119 billion to the nation, and nationally, that's $12.2 million in state and local taxes. So hunting and fishing are a great economic driver. Has this trend been going upwards, or has this maintained over the last few years? So that's variable as well. Yeah. Um, so we know the price of gas goes up, and the price of milk goes up, and the certain things that we buy goes up, and so that's going to that's gonna vary um, the cost of equipment, the amount of uh, the dollars spent there in equipment, uh, travel, depending on the economy, can change. Um, so it, it's, um, it's an enormous amount. And looking at that on a Minnesota perspective, $3.3 billion just in Minnesota, or what Minnesotans spend on hunting and fishing, $3.3 billion is what it brings to um, economies. And that's $2.1 billion in fishing and $1.1 billion in hunting. Wow. Right. So there's 
so it's it's an important economic driver within our within our um, state and across the across the nation, which is why these reports are put together to show the importance of keeping this uh, recreation an active and viable recreation into the future. You know, um, one of one of the um, always controversial things is is what to do with land. You know, how much land should be public? Uh, how much uh, concern should we have uh, with the you know the environment? Things like that. Obviously, if those activities are generating that kind of money, uh, it behooves the nation just from a purely steely-eyed capitalist perspective to, to protect some land. Right. So Minnesota, as we all know, has a large public land base that does provide Minnesota with wonderful recreational opportunities, whether it's hunting and fishing or whether it's just having some green space in the outdoors, um, space for our animals to uh have habitat and the like and we know from studies too that having that open space is important just for our quality of life too yeah and 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 i don't look at it strictly from a a steely-eyed capitalist perspective uh, myself i mean i think just having like you said having beautiful green unspoiled land for the sake of it is 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 well worth it right absolutely and that's and that's land that everyone gets to enjoy That's the value, again, that licensed sales are what support a lot of the management on the landscape, meaning habitat for fish and wildlife, clean water, um, and, and again, those open spaces for people to recreate on. So people that are purchasing licenses, hunting and fishing licenses, are actually the ones that are carrying a large portion of um, supplying that opportunity for everyone across Minnesota. So thank a hunter or an angler. Um, for the value that they're bringing to our state. More of the great outdoors with Kev Jackson next on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, sponsored by Pine Ridge Service, DS Beverages, Bonded Lock and Key, and Northern Surplus Northern Outdoors. Check us out at kbunsportsradio.com. Click on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, and you can subscribe to the podcast on Podcast One and iTunes. Jen Weichel, the marketing coordinator of the Division of Fish and Wildlife for the Minnesota DNR, my guest today. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, the growth in female participation. One of the things I was just reading was uh, female participation in hunting increased 104%, so more than doubled in the last 15 years, and uh, participation in target shooting increased by more than 81% during that same time. That is a, I mean, that's a flat-out huge increase. Right, and so we have, um, we have research that shows that a lot of women do get into the sport through a target shooting opportunity. So they may start with target shooting um, to get a feel for using a, um, using a gun and, and being actively safe with using that that gun, and then they may look for other opportunities like hunting to try their hand at um, growing that that love and that participation in a new sport. So what we are seeing, again, is an increase in um, participation by females, oftentimes led through that process. Bottom line is, back in the day, um, you know, dads fished and hunt, and, and then sons fished and hunt with dads. This really does give you double the uh, possibilities in the future generations of hunting and angling people. 
Right. The hope is, or what we're seeing, too, is that um, people are starting at a later age. So it's not necessarily starting at that young age where they're being introduced, whether it's a, a daughter or a son being introduced as they are young. What we're seeing is, is um, folks participating as they get into their um, career years, um, finding interest in, in creating hobbies, and also a movement on uh, local sourcing their food, wanting to hunt for their subsistence. Um, for putting food on the table. That's actually how I got involved with hunting was um, I didn't start until I was in my 30s, and it was through starting with archery um, bow hunting first for just some target shooting, moving into shotgun um, target shooting and, and clays, and then, um, and then having my first opportunity in the field in my, in my 30s. And how did you get I mean, what got you going? You know, it, we have a camaraderie here at work um, with our coworkers of women, some of whom are uh, maybe got into the DNR or work within our division, not in the um, biological sciences or the field study sides of things, but are just here as support staff or are here as um, uh, planners or different things. And so they may not have gotten into this field for the sheer fact of loving the landscape for hunting and fishing, but for other reasons. And so we just had a, a group of women that were interested in pulling together, and that's what we did. And we found a local sportsman's um, shooting range that allowed that had an open night for um, for target shooting. They did some teaching along with that, and we just pulled together a group to 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 do that. And so it was kind of meant more for that social component at first, um, but certainly being around um, men and women that hunt in the field, um, you know, it, it enticed me to want to give that a try. Jen, how did you get started with the DNR? What uh, what pulled you in that direction? So I had started um, in the field. I, I went to school as a landscape architect, architect, and then just through different internships, one with the DNR, one with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, um, one with the Forest Service, just had various opportunities to be in the field um, and understanding the landscape as a whole. And um, started here at the DNR about 18 years ago, as the aquatic education coordinator, because I was doing a lot with groundwater quality in Michigan, um, kind of that egg side of things, and wanting to teach people about the importance of water quality, the importance of how we can recreate um, in our natural resources, was just what drew me into all of this. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about um, the fault lines. Now, you talked about the, the, the trend by and large has been downward where are the fault lines for that is it uh, i'm assuming it's probably more younger generation than older generation right so as our um demographics to the state of minnesota have been changing our, our population is aging um we have a lot of baby boomers in our population right so that was a large majority that were supporting hunting and fishing the generation that um was more connected to the land a large number of them were hunting and fishing. That population is aging. We have younger adults that are uh, um, younger children and younger adults that are coming into the population now. And what we're seeing is that 25 to 44 year old um, age bracket is is where we're seeing some um, decline. But that's also where we're seeing small per, small percentages of growth with that female population as well. So it's not um, completely black and white, but in general, that middle-aged group. And think about it. When you were in college, when you were starting your career, you had um, less time on your hands, or you're starting a family, or um, you're, you're adding a spouse to your life. And so that's 
those are some of the qualifiers of people just saying they don't have time to get out um, to recreate the way that they did in, um, you know, when they were younger. Mm-hmm. One of the other big demographic trends nationally is people get married later, they starting families later. Do you think that's a factor? Um, I don't know that that's a factor in uh, participation because I actually think that some of those that aren't getting married as um, as past trends have represented are looking for more ways to include adventure in their life. And so that's okay. where some of those folks are picking up um, new hobbies. I know one of the biggest concerns I've heard year in, year out, and I've talked to many people about this, is the youth numbers. And, you know, there's lots of things out there. There's take-a-kid fishing events. There's a lot of things to try to keep kids in, or get kids involved in the outdoors. Are we seeing any success rates with those? What we need to have um, happen alongside of those are continuing opportunities. And we certainly have to have the families involved, right? So mom's got to be involved. She's often the decision maker. Not to say that dads aren't, <laughs> but the planners no- normally are the parents or are the, er, is the female or the mom in the family. So um, we need to have them involved as well so that they see an opportunity for connecting their family out in the outdoors, making memories, um, the ease of fishing off of a dock, those types of things. So the, the events that only target the youth, we're, we're pulling away from that a bit, and again, we're adding and moving into that young adult phase where people can make decisions on their own, they have um, disposable in- income to make some decisions, so those are some new targets that we're headed for. Well, one of the things I, I think is key, you mentioned fishing off docks. That is hugely important because for a lot of people, you think, i got to buy a boat, i got to buy this, i got to buy that. I can't afford to do that, you know, now. Um, if we can educate people on all the fun fishing and hunting activities that really are relatively inexpensive, that, that's got to be helpful. Absolutely. In fact, that's um, the best way to learn is off a dock. It's simple. You can walk away from it simply. Um, we often encourage families to start that way, start in, a, in an area that has um, a pier or a shore platform that allows them easy access to the water's edge, but then also allows them to take a break and, and have the kids play on the, on the uh, playground equipment or have a restroom available or different things like that. I think sitting on the dock is the most peaceful um, way of fishing that there is. It's, it's, um, it's a way to truly put your feet in the water. Yes, I can't remember who I was interviewing last year, and, and he, you know, he said one of the things people decry, and and for I think for fairly good reason is kids are on the phones all the time. They're 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 too connected, and he said that's probably true, but it is what it is. And he found that when he let kids bring their social media with them, and they could take pictures of you know when they caught and you know, they shot a turkey or a deer, or just you know saw a bear in the woods. That uh, that psyched them up, and they were also out spreading the message of how cool this activity was to the rest of their friends. I'm on that same soapbox. I truly believe we shouldn't be shutting down the media. We should be allowing it to be a part of this next generation's opportunity and experience in the woods and on the water. Um, that is absolutely what we are seeing through understanding that um, the social context of what we do and the technology that allows us to do that is an important part to all of us to all of this and to being able to share those memories. And, and uh, in a generation where that is such a key part of their day-to-day life to say, no, you can't bring that along. It's <laughs> right. like, well, why do I want to do this? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> 
Right. And you know what? We, we, we as an agency and, and everyone out there is trying to get their message across about the value of hunting and fishing. What better way to have it done through the kid that's experiencing it right there? Or that, um, you know, even, even, even I, you know, had, when I was out on my mentored hunt for deer, you know, sharing that experience with my friends and opening that conversation was just so key for people understanding that this is something that um, Minnesota is known for, that it's a valued tradition, and that there's just a tremendous opportunity out there, meaning, you know, our public land space, um, our walk-in access space, if you're doing more of that birding side of things and the like. It's just phenomenal the amount of resources we have here in Minnesota. And being able to share that through social media and through pictures and being it shared with um, the individual that's going through that, that's priceless. Absolutely. The other thing I think that that is interesting is, you know, we, we're very strong in, in Minnesota. I think probably one of the strongest in the nation with a, a catch-and-release ethic, which I think is huge. But at the same time, when you take kids out fishing that first, second, third time, they catch some fish. Uh, you got to let them keep some fish, right? I agree. I think that's a, I think that's right. That's been part of our past tradition of having that, that fish fry, whether it's a family fish fry. That's what I remember very vividly when I was fishing with my father on Lake Winona was bringing those as small as they were <laughs> and fish home um, and, and watching him clean and, and helping him clean them and then having that as part of our evening meal. Um, that, was, that was an important part of the whole experience. No, no question about it. I mean, uh, I think, and I think, you know, if, if people get to turn on to fishing and they really start to care about fishing, they get it. It won't take long and, and they'll understand. Right. And, and, and we don't have to have that, uh, you know, you don't have to go out every weekend. It's, you know, it can be just that family outing. We have great opportunities listed on our website for peer fishing where you can find peers. We have a program called Fishing in the Neighborhood, FIN, F-I-N, Fishing in the Neighborhood, that has some metro lakes identified that are close to amenities, like I was talking about um, bathrooms and, and great parking and the like. So, again, super easy. It could even be an evening outing after work or a simple Saturday morning. Yeah. If you were, and we probably covered the, much of them, but what would you say is, you know, uh, the Division of Fish and Wildlife's number one concern right now? Well, it certainly is um, keeping, keeping hunting and fishing relevant in the state of Minnesota as demographics change. So we have that goal of connecting people that are interested in um, trying hunting and fishing, but also providing the opportunity for those that want to give it a try. Uh, and again, I, that that economic factor is is so huge. I mean, I just I know living up here in Bemidji, Minnesota, and you know knowing a lot of people over in the Leech Lake area in Walker and you know Red Lake, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there are just so many people that 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 it's it's just incredibly important to their livelihood. Absolutely, the the jobs that are connected um, through this industry are large here in Minnesota, but certainly other um, other states nationally as well. So. It, it does. It does drive a lot of um, efforts in our tourism industry, and it's just again when you look at our bass fishing opportunities, our trout fishing opportunities, our grouse hunting opportunities, the growth of the turkey population and its range. I mean, there's there's many um, places and styles of fishing and hunting that people can connect to here, just in their backyard, local. 
uh, not having to travel um, hundreds of miles or even thousands of miles to have an experience that will last a lifetime and will have memories associated with it. Granted that uh, somebody, you know, a, a citizen or, or a congressperson from, you know, maybe an inner city district in, in New York or Chicago or whatever maybe just doesn't get it. But by and large, when you throw these, these numbers out and we talk about the importance of, of the outdoors, do, do you feel like state legislature and, and federal uh, national legislature as well, do they, do they get it? You know, we're always educating. We're always bringing information that they can share and utilize when they're making decisions, however it may impact um, our recreation or, um, you know, the increase in a license sale that helps us deliver the, the management that we need to deliver on the landscape. Um, they've, we've got proponents, certainly, that are for us all the time, and then we're constantly bringing education to those that need to just understand that bigger picture. What would you say, you know, uh, or your years in this in this business uh, and working in this business, what what seems to be the uh, biggest stumbling block when it comes to people understanding uh, or or wanting to help? That's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if I have a, a thirty second answer on that. <laughs> okay. I think that. Um, I think certainly again bringing. Um, Bringing it to the forefront again, again, we had a generation that it was just always there. It was just something that was always understood. And as our demographics change, um, still bringing the value that hunting and fishing have to the state of Minnesota. And even if that individual isn't interested in um, hunting and fishing themselves, that they understand that we, we as a... Um, as a group of individuals hunting and angler or hunters and anglers that we are helping to support the landscape that Minnesotans enjoy as as a whole right that we are um, supporting management of the landscape again for that clean water for habitat for open space um, so that they can see and if they're not interested in fish and deer then you know it's the birds on the landscape or it's the um, smaller critters on the landscape, and all of those things play into our larger uh, Minnesota base of opportunity. Okay. When it comes to hunting and, and shooting sports, I mean, obviously, you know, this last 20 years or so, there's been a lot of, of mass shootings, and there's been a lot of gun violence, and it's been the forefront, you know, the news cycle for a long, long time. Are people able to differentiate between the types of guns that we're talking about here? I can't speak for everybody. Um, I can give one example that um, was disheartening to me was a father that worked for us um, was taking his son out for their first hunting adventure um, experience, and the son's uh, friends at school were upset with him for wanting to go hunting. So it is a new conversation, I think, that um, we, are going to, we are going to have to address um, in some way, or that hunters and anglers, hunters obviously understand is part of the conversation that's out there. Um, and we have to understand both sides of that. It is a changing world. That is a fact. Right. All right. Anything else you want to share with us before we wrap it up? Well, I would just encourage that we have lifetime licenses, which are wonderful gifts, both for um, the new child, that the new grandchild that's coming into your life, um, to, to give them something that's a legacy gift from you. 
but also if you're in that older generation, it's a great return on investment to purchase a lifetime license so that when you are um, putting your foot forward saying, I am investing in the natural resources of this state, and regardless if you're going out that year, just as I do, regardless if, if I'm um, going to hit the water that year or not, I buy a license because I know the importance of the connection. You know, and, and I think it's it's a good point that that we all benefit from a strong environment and a strong view of conservation and strong natural resources. People who live in this neck of the woods have never hunted in their life, still love the deer coming through their backyard. They still love the songbirds. They still, you know, they love hearing the loons on the lake. I mean, that's part of living here, whether you actually actively involve yourself in hunting and fishing or not. Right, exactly. And so, again, thank a hunter and angler for that um, experience that you have in your backyard. Jen Weichel is the marketing coordinator for the Division of Fish and Wildlife at Minnesota DNR. Great conversation with her today. Jen, thank you so much for taking time. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Happy New Year, everybody. This has been Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Hear it exclusively on KBUNFM 104.5, Thursdays at 1240 and Saturday mornings at 8. If you own a small to medium-sized business that kept employees on payroll through COVID, you may have a big cash refund waiting for you. The Employee Retention Credit is a tax credit of up to $26,000 per employee. And now, more businesses than ever qualify. The experts at RefundsPro.com specialize in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program. Most of their refunds are over $100,000. Even businesses that have received PPP funds may be eligible. And there are absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. So there's no reason not to apply. If your business experienced shutdowns, limited capacity, supply chain challenges, or reduced revenue due to COVID, you likely qualify. RefundsPro.com has already helped hundreds of businesses. So don't lose the refund you're owed by missing the deadline. Get started today with a free 5-minute questionnaire at RefundsPro.com. That's Refunds with an S, Pro.com.